Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and today we are joined by the New York Times bestselling author, Nana Kwame Ajay Branya. His much-anticipated second book, Chain Gang All-Stars, was just released last week, and it is so good. The book takes on mass incarceration, capitalism, and entertainment through imagining a world where those convicted of the most brutal crimes can fight each other to the death to earn their freedom. Chain Gang All-Stars is a powerful, satirical indictment of systemic racism, unfettered capitalism, and the United States prison system. I have no doubt that this novel will be one of the best things I read all year. And if Nana's name sounds familiar to you, it's because he's been on the stacks before. Back in 2019, we featured his short story collection, Friday Black, as a stacks book club pick. Today, Nana and I talk about the pressure of a second book, ambition in storytelling, and using writing to uncover what the writer truly believes. Remember, our May book club selection is This Boy We Made, a memoir of motherhood, genetics, and facing the unknown by Taylor Harris. We will discuss the book on May 31st with Nicole Chung. Quick reminder, everything we talk about on each episode of The Stacks can be found in the link in the show notes. And if you love The Stacks and you want more of it, like our incredible community on Discord, bonus episodes, monthly virtual book club meetups, you must join The Stacks Pack on Patreon. It is just $5 a month. You get all of that and more, and you get to know that you're helping to make this podcast possible every single week. Head to patreon.com slash The Stacks and join us now. I want to give a quick shout out to our newest members of The Stacks Pack. Jessica Daly, Emma Shaw, Jose Oliveres, Heather M., and Kristen Johnson. Thank you all so much, and thank you to the entire Stacks Pack. And now it's time for my conversation with Nana Kwame Ajay Brenya. All right, everybody, I am so excited. I have a returning guest to the podcast. He is the author of Friday Black, a book we did on the Stacks for Book Club, a book that he came to the show to talk about in 2019. And now he's back with his debut novel, his second book, Chain Gang All-Stars, Nana Kwame Ajay Brenya. Welcome back. Thank you so much. Congratulations. Five years later, uh, Stacks is as strong as ever. (laughs) We're reunited. Okay. I wasn't going to start here, but I am going to start here. In the (laughs) book, there is a character named uh, whose name is Stax, and she has a Stax pack. 
And I need to know if that was a nod to the Stacks podcast <laughs> and the Stacks pack on Patreon. <laughs> it was the first note I took. I was like, I got to ask about that. That's amazing. It is not. It, what is it? What is the stack? The Stacks pack the is, the- is our Patreon community. Oh, that's like your beehive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, that's amazing though. But if you want to say it is, if you want to yeah. say that's what it is, you can say it. It, it was I'm not. Say. I, I um, <laughs> I had been uh writing it. Uh, it's like seven. So I was writing this book before um Friday Black came out. I thought it was gonna be starting Friday Black. So I had uh, some of the earlier chapters, uh, as even seven years ago. Okay, mm-hmm. damn. but that's amazing well, still. We're going to tell people in the Stacks Pack, it's definitely about you. Don't worry. Um, okay, but let's let's go back to the beginning. <laughs> in about 30 seconds or so, will you just tell folks about Chain Gang All-Stars? Chain Gang All-Stars is about an imagined future in which convicted wards of state can opt out of a sentence of at least 25 years and participate in death matches. If they survive three years in this sort of circuit of this blood sport, they are given the chance to be free. They can win clemency. But really, it's about these two women in particular who are sort of well-established participants called links uh, in these games. And one of them's final weeks as a member of the sport, which is called Chain Gang All-Stars. Okay. I had a plan about how I wanted to do this, but now that I'm looking at you and talking to you, I'm, I'm going, I'm throwing an audible. The plan Your is imagination gone. <laughs> yeah. is fucking unreal, Nana. I mean, I feel like, People who read Friday Black, we know this about you. But this book has gone next level, I feel. I feel like mm. like it's such a maturing of your work. I feel like you have dug in deeper. Somehow it's more political, I feel. I mean, obviously it's a full-length novel, so there's like a lot to get into, which we will. But I want to start with your imagination. How does this stuff come to you? Like, you have these names for what the handcuffs are and there's like Mm -hmm. these silencers and there's a thing, you know, called an influencer, which we'll get to. And I just like, even the names of the characters, like it's just so vivid and rich and feels so right on what it should be in the world that you've created. And so I want to know how the world comes to you and then how the little tiny things come to you. It's a, first off, thank you so much. I think that when you're doing the world building thing, uh, I'm trying to think of who said it. Um, I, other Many people have said it, but I kind of tried to like mind my character's business, so to speak. So mm. I think about, there were sort of the central beam of the story of the novel, right? So what is going to affect her day to day? There's these handcuffs sort of implanted in her and all her, all people's and chain gang's wrists. So that is a pretty defining element of, of her life. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like as a writer, I should have some pretty specific ideas about it because mm-hmm. it's not like a normal chain. It's not like a normal handcuff. It's a, this magnetic thing that was implanted. So I'm like, what's the story behind that? Some company would obviously make it. Someone would profit off of that. Cause that's always a part of the net. That's what I've discovered is very much a part of um, the carceral. Everything is profit and who's getting paid for what. And then, so just for me, this becomes not only necessary, but kind of fun to think about the specifics. Okay. Like at one point I remember I was, researching the units for magnetism to figure out like how to to talk about a stronger or less strong magnet like mm. 4.4.2 teslas versus not you know what i mean right so i think i just i'll drill in on whatever i think is going to affect her her life and i don't know i for how i how i do that is just by acting as though it's a real thing mm-hmm. what's the like what would be like the first paragraph of the wikipedia page about that 
object or item. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it'll get saved <laughs> out and not be included in the book, but sometimes it will be included in the book. So I just like to think about what are actually going to affect my characters materially. And sometimes if it's not something that exists in our current world, how can I make it as uh, true to life as possible? And when you're doing that, because like one of the things that I think is cool in this book is like there's a lot of little details and things that come up that we sort of learn about later. Like, you know, the handcuffs are kind of mentioned and then it's like not exactly clear what it is. Right. And then as we get going, it's like, oh, I see this is this is a handcuff thing where they can't move and they're locked in. So as a as a writer and as a storyteller, how are you thinking about kind of explaining your world to us or showing your world to us without just being like, this is a handcuff and it works like this? Like, cause you don't really do that. Except for when I, sometimes I do, you know, with the with footnotes. The footnotes and stuff. But with the footnotes, it's more like explaining, it's not actually explaining what the thing is. It's explaining like who makes the thing or yeah. like, it, but it, it wasn't clear. Like I was like, oh, okay, this is a thing, but I still don't exactly understand what the thing is yet. You know what I mean? For me, it's it makes sense because I, I I think about like if an alien uh, came to the planet today, even a traditional handcuff, it would be like, what the hell is this? Until right. it was demonstrated as a restraint tool, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So I try to have it um, be if something if I'm introducing an item to the reader that is that exists and is named, I'll try to have it be demonstrated meaningfully usually again mm. intersecting with either Thurwa or one of the other main characters in the book and i just i feel like some of that instinct for those kind of things kind of comes naturally to me okay um or, or not even to come naturally it's that i'll i'll think that even because it takes work to make these things up right right so if i'm gonna bother to make something brand new it's gonna be because i needed the world to interact with a character in a specific way that maybe is not exactly possible with the current technology available to us in our current life. Mm -hmm. So usually it's about, okay, I want her to be kept in place right now and easily like I want her and I, and I need her restraint to be absolute, but I also need her to be really free. Right. Right. So how can I do that? Okay. There's a, there's a, a switch, you know, it's automated almost or someone else is controlling it, but it's always there, but it's actually invisible. And that right. way I get to have my cake and eat it too, for example. So that's just one of many, many, many yeah. uh, examples of that kind of uh, thinking. Yeah. And what I like about about your work, and I've always really admired about it, is that while your imagination is really like vivid and, and you've created all these like things that are scary as fuck, it feels so rooted in in this world. And for me that's really helpful because it allows me to imagine a lot of more complicated, like it allows me to dig in deeper to kind of what the point of the book is instead of being stuck on the science fiction of it. Right. Like I'm like, okay, I can, I can, I can keep going into the commentary on the carceral system because I'm not stuck on the technology of the handcuff. Right. And I guess like, Back to where I was planning on starting. I want to know about audience for you because this book is, I mean, I think I've said this before. I think it's one of the most ambitious books I've read in a really long time. You're taking on the carceral system. You're taking on, you know, gender dynamics, sexuality. You're taking on capitalism, racism, uh, like more specifically in capitalism, the entertainment industry, like you're taking on so much. And so I'm wondering how you're thinking about audience as you're writing and also like how much you trust your audience. It's such an interesting question. I've been and, and the question of audience. I feel like it's we're off the authors or writers or like often 
I'll actually think about that. And I bet if you went through all the times I've been asked, my answer probably changes like every time. Because <laughs> it's really hard to say. Because right. you, in the actual process of there's so many, writing has so many phases. There's the initial idea, inception. There's the execution of the, trying to execute a first draft. And then for me, the meat of it is really through the revision, going through it over and over again. Right. And in each of those stages, you might have a slightly different person in mind. You know, mm. if there is even a particular person at all. For me, I try to imagine a slightly funnier, smarter, cooler version of myself, you know, <laughs> um, that would be entertained, but also really desires for their, with their entertainment to feel like they're becoming a better, more complete person as that's happening as well. And so if I brought in that out, of course, I'm interested in like, I'm from a place called Spring Valley Rockin' County. I was born in Queens. And so I'm interested in uh, ki kids who maybe are not always pushed into like quote unquote literary spaces, feeling like they can feel seen and represented in, that, in their work. So for sure that's there. I'm also interested in people who feel like the world could be a lot better, giving a space to imagine um, a world that's much worse and get to like flex that imaginative muscle. I'm interested in that. I'm interested in people who, in this book in particular, who um, know like the shonen manga anime thing, because there's some anime, some of that action orientated thing there, but also knowing that to have action and engagement, you don't have to sacrifice intellectual viability. I don't know, whatever. Right. But uh, so it's a lot of different people. And um, really anybody who's open to uh, the idea that the world could change, I think. And so it's pretty broad, but I think materially in terms of trust, I really think about trust. I think about generosity. Mm -hmm. I try my best as a reader. I just did the times thing, like the times by the book thing. Oh, you know? exciting. And yeah, uh, it's weird to get to do that kind of, there's so many things you get exposed to. And you, I'm so used to people I look up to doing those things. And I'm always sort of. And now extremely, you're a person like that. It's extremely awesome. humble to get a chance to, you know, someone let me do it. So, hey, but they ask like a very, it seems like a simple question. Oh, for you, what's a good, like what makes a, a book bad? Mm. And I really, I really like to, I think this is like the teacher in me. I really like to like put a lot of qualifiers on that. And I did it in my answer. And I was like, well, first off, we have to define what bad is because mm -hmm. what to me might seem like imprecision might be like a beautiful whimsy to somebody else. Mm -hmm. And uh, for some, what might feel like long-windedness or whatever might be, you know, careful, cool um, discourse that is wandering and meandering artfully, right. whatever. Everyone got their taste. I think they're, I know what I like. Right. Um, and so that's why I said, and I, I, I'm sort of forced to think and those in that lens. And so, um, but I also try to think of myself as a reader that's pretty generous and can, see the beauty and what other people are doing, even if it's not exactly like what I'm trying to do. But right. yeah, so for me, it's just a smarter, cooler, awesomer person version of myself, I think, today. <laughs> so as we're talking, your book isn't quite out in the world yet, but it will be soon. And you have gone through the experience of putting a book in the world. Now it's your second book. Do you have different trepidations around audience response than maybe you did the first time around now that you know better or know more? Um, Cause this book is like, I mean, for people who like are into abolition and into like saying, fuck the system, this book is very much 
our bread and butter. But for people who aren't quite there yet, this book is definitely pushing, is going to push people's buttons for sure. Like you can't read this book and not think and feel and look at yourself in some way and be like, "Mm, am I contributing to this kind of stuff? So I'm just wondering like, no, and I know you know that because you wrote it and you don't write something this chesty and not expect people to get mad about it. I appreciate you saying that, that you think that that's the case, because that means a lot to me, actually. I, I hope that that's the feeling. I feel more the opposite. I'm more worried, and or if I have a, a trepidation or a fear, I'm more afraid of um the people who are already in these spaces feel as though I didn't do a good, uh, didn't do a good service to the cause mm. of abolition, um, personally. I, because if someone, I don't know, if, if some, the people, I feel like that discomfort that you're describing if if someone feels that discomfort, I I hope that that means I'm doing exactly what I yeah. need to do. Because and maybe the, the initial response might be a rejection, but hopefully eventually the, a seed might be planted. Something could be felt meaningfully. But if I was imprecise or or wasn't um, somehow failed to describe what some people just feel is like a useful dis- description of potential pitfalls of our current system or the possibilities of what we could do better. That feels a little bit sadder to me, <laughs> I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but either way, there's so many versions of terror that come with putting a book out into the world. So, you know, pick your, pick your, <laughs> sorry, uh, pick your, we po- swear hair. It's okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was going to say pick your fucking poison because you're going to feel trepidation no matter what. And it's, uh, it's a, it's a terrifying thing. I don't know if it's because, um, I'm noticing it more because I have a book that coming out, but this, just today I saw a second article about all the anxiety and distress authors have that are when they're mm. debuting. And then some people are like, you think debuting is bad. Wait till you put out a second book. And oh, I'm I like, just saw that tweet. <laughs> yeah. I think it was Matt Bell. Shout out to Matt Bell. Yeah. And I'm like, damn, is this like some kind of synchronicity happening with me right now? Cause I, I talk about that stuff as well. It's, it's, it's challenging, but yeah, there's a million things to be scared and, feel trepidation about but to be honest when it comes to the actual book i feel like i really gave my best wing and so on some levels i'm cool like you know what i mean like about like knowing like i feel in my body i gave my best wing and i know that i do sort of try i'm for the fences you know what i'm saying like i i try hard and i um I I think I I only feel engaged by projects that feel a little bit beyond me especially at the like inception period yeah and so I feel sort of some of the, when I, instead, sometimes when I feel whole and full, I feel okay because like I did something that, that five, five years ago, like we talked about was impossible then, you know, right, right. it was impossible. Yeah. I, I, there's no way I could have pulled it off then. And right. somehow tooth and nail through pandemic, through a whole bunch of other sad stuff that happened, um, the book we're talking about it now. So, yeah. so that's what I try to rest in, but yeah, I'd be scared of shit about a lot of shit. when I finished the book I the analogy I made for it because you know it is ambitious and like and I know you'll appreciate this like it's not perfect and no book or piece of work ever is but what I said is that I felt like you are the Simone Biles like the level of difficulty that you're pulling off is just so much higher than the competition or whatever quote-unquote yeah that like even even a part where I was like Hmm. I don't yeah. know. I was yeah. like this question, me even questioning this is like thrilling because I'm getting to think about something that I just have not been able to. So I think like you're saying swinging for the fences is a thousand percent. I, I could feel that in reading the book. I was like, this is 
it's not 10 out of 10 anymore. It's like 11 out of 10. Like we have to change the scoring change the system. Score card. Yeah. It just, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's like, it's so rare that I read a novel and I like feel that energy from the author of like, this author is saying something or like doing something and it's hard for them and it's hard for me. And like, we're in it together in a way. So I just really. It's very kind for that. me. It hits, it hits, <laughs> it hits like my personality types, like, exact desire because I am I do try like live wire acts you know I do try yeah. like no um no no net beneath me things and it's just mm-hmm. it's just how I feel engaged and yeah. I mean obviously like Simone Biles makes it extra nice because she's like my goat in that sport yeah <laughs> but um <Not> everyone <laughs> I just saw people being really mean to her on Twitter and I'm like you guys are getting nasty on this internet for no reason like no reason. people are insane like I literally just a second ago like people would like be like oh you could literally be they're mad about her hair I don't know what they're mad about something but anyways always always it's like dude she's flipping in there four times and landing quad, quads quads She's been there four times. Yeah. But anyway, so it means a lot to me because like, also like, I, you know, people know that I, I am a student of George's, but also there's other people like in that vein who are trying to do something really, really different. Mm -hmm. And what I feel, I guess, most proud of is that I think that between my two books, I have a style, you know, Mm -hmm. I have like, that's observable that, and like, if you didn't like, you could see like, oh, there's, it's hard to name it because there's a lot of things that include it, but part of it is like a, formal structural and like sentence level ambition yeah yeah a thousand percent that's very kind i appreciate it very much oh good i'm glad i'm glad because i i could feel it um okay this is where i was gonna start for real for real which is <laughs> the like actual content of the book i was gonna talk to you about that first but i, I got i distracted. like that start i like to start you got i did too but now let's talk about mass incarceration and yeah. all the like themes that are going on So my big question, and I think it's the big question of the book, and I want to know what you think about it, Nana, not the author who's telling a story, because I think those are two sort of different roles that you have. For sure. How do you feel about earning redemption through the same behavior? Because that's the kind of the central question is, can you earn redemption as a person who is incarcerated for 25 years plus? Most of them are murderers in this book. A few are rapists. Some are both. Um, I guess I shouldn't call them that. People who have committed murder, people who have raped people. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. However you want to say it. Yeah. And they're being asked to kill other people as a way to atone and appease the public as entertainment. And if in doing so, they are redeemed, they become beloved. And eventually, if they pull it off for three years, they get to become free. Yeah. So how do you feel about this idea of redemption through unchanged, essentially, behavior? It's a really good question because, and I I think if I even pull it back a little bit, it's like, what do I think about redemption? Sure. Generally. Like, do I believe it's possible to atone? Uh, I hope so. And do I think that our infrastructures and like sort of societal like uh, push can be behind programs and infrastructures that can facilitate redemption? I do think that's possible. In the case of Tang Gang, do I think that doing the same thing can facilitate redemption? I think it'd be very challenging and maybe like count, actually counterproductive to the process of redemption. Do I think sitting in a cage, you know, just like so to take to extrapolate from that way, do I think doing nothing 
or also doing this harming people in the in the confines of a weird cages and humans ecosystem. Do I think that is a space for people to be redeemed? I think that's very difficult as well. Yeah. So for me, I think that, but I think that the asking that question is really important because I I I hope that. Uh, it, it leads to a, a sort of that same kind of chain I'm sort of th- thinking through right now, which I haven't thought of exactly the same way, but you saying it makes me think of it that way is like, okay, doing this violence, does that cause, does that redemptive? Probably not. And like, I think that in some, in some ways, the main characters are trying to find how they can f- grow beyond their worst moments, even in this context and space that is totally antagonistic to any potential for redemption. Right. 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 And so I think that, Chain Gang, um, All Stars, All Stars. The sport within the books is a sort of an analog or stand-in for our current carceral system. Can people be re- find redemption in this bloody, evil, violent, quote unquote, rehabilitative space we have? Right. Yeah, they actually can, and they do. Is it the best thing that we can do as society? Definitely not. Right. Right. I mean, as I was thinking about that idea of like earning redemption through the same repeated behaviors, and I know that you in the book, you mentioned some incredible abolitionists, um, friend of the podcast, Miriam Kaba, of course, comes up. And, you know, I think the question also is like, it's not just that these people are being asked to kill, but it's that they're being asked to kill by the government for entertainment. And I yep. and I think about that when I think about the death penalty. I'm like, I don't know. I don't think that an eye for an eye is really that bad necessarily, inherently, but I think it's bad when the government asks for that. You know what I mean? And like the difference for me when I think of chain gang is like, if these people were like just doing this for fun, I don't know. I maybe wouldn't hate it quite as much as I do because it's the entertainment <laughs> part of it and the government part of it. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, that's the like... That's the abolitionist part thinking for me is like, who's who's making this happen and for what end? And also, and like what resources are being diverted into this that could be diverted into something totally else. Mm-hmm. And like the eye for the eye thing, the reason why we even use that tale is that everyone ends up blind. Like that's the whole point of it, right? Right. Now everyone's blind. Now we're fucked. Right. That's like the whole like idea behind that. And so um, there it's so like, what do we do with people who cause suffering? And it's like for me, and I and and I I also think it's for, for me it's important to like note that I think in some ways writing Chain Gang All Stars was me like trying to discover if I was an abolitionist actually. I what think did I you discover. I think I thought I was and hoped I was, and then I found that I absolutely am. I found mm-hmm. out I found that that I was sort of horrified by the reality. Actually, I think. I'm a, I, I think I would be an abolitionist just off the lack of efficacy of like how ineffective yes. prison is just off yeah. of that. Besides the myriad of actual moral, more ethical issues that I think it causes right. and facilitates. I think it's also like not effective. It doesn't work. It's effect, efficacy is low. Yeah. Um. So, and actually it's counterproductive. I think th- th- there's no better marker for, someone going to prison than if they've already gone to prison before. Like it's terrible, let alone the, we know it's super racist statistically and proven to be, we know it's the LGBTQIA plus community is particularly targeted. We know the trans community is particularly targeted. We know that women are particularly targeted. We know that most people incarcerated suffer from mental health problems, 
or addiction or poverty or probably a combination of all those things. And the fact of prisons allows us to not give a fuck about those real actual issues and gives us a place to throw people instead of addressing the actual like societal thing that we are all implicated in, which are these like big things like poverty and um, addiction and mental health. And so there's, a, I mean, there's more issues morally that bother me, but yeah, I just, I already, I, I mean, I kind of, I believed it, but I wanted to feel like based in like facts and then doing some of the research I've done, whereas whether it's Kaba or Angela Davis or Ruth Wilson Gilmore or going to like uh, the, that the prison they got in um, Philly, the, the museum and thinking of and knowing that we incarcerate more people per capita than anyone else here in the land of the free eye roll slash sarcastic yeah. grin. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's kind of a, sh it doesn't work. And it also is a, it bookends our culture in death, just like the military does. And I think that's a really bad, I feel like us being, bordered on both sides by this internal external death machine is not the best way to exist. I agree. We're going to take a quick break. I've got more abolition questions on the other side. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished, and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. 
At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. All right, we're back. More abolition questions as promised. (laughs) Do you think that the current United States carceral system or the world of your book's carceral system is better for abolitionist causes? Like, do you think it's easier to be an abolitionist here and now, or do you think it would be easier to be an abolitionist in the world of your book? Yes or no? (laughs) (laughs) It's a, it's an interesting question. I think that the hype. Okay. So (laughs) I like these questions. They make me like drill into like ideas. I think I've had, I haven't been to talk about. Oh, good. Taking all stars is like a blood sport, which is yes. get made, paid for money. A, a big conceit besides the fact of that is the non-hiding of the violence of that America's administering. Yes. A big part, so a huge, that's a huge conceit because a big part of the violence of, of these systems is keeping it from our eyes, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that in our world, a huge challenge is getting people to even buy into the the evil that's happening right behind the comfort of these amenities we have. (laughs) It's like right behind the door, people are being slaughtered over there, but it's like, wait, I got this nice couch, you know, (laughs) right over there. And I mean, and I think that part of my sort of general argument as an author is that as we're enjoying these amenities and these comforts, these death, it's like a wall fires inching closer and closer. We see it in these mass uh, shootings that happen every week now. Mm-hmm. We see in these increase in um, police ex- extrajudicial executions of citizens and non-citizens. We see it all over the place. And so I think that it's actually harder here because it's so um, non, so it can be invisible if you don't care to look. Yeah. You know, It's getting harder to be invisible because of the great work of abolitionists and yeah. organizers and the internet and phones or whatever. And people, they, there's, it's getting harder, but it, you can kind of, you know, don't ask like, hear no evil, see no evil kind of thing. I think in the world of chain game, because the actual death is becoming so um, present, it's perhaps a little bit easier, but I also think something, there's a challenge that comes with like this sort of desensitization, desensitization yeah. that happens for those people where like, they fully embrace the idea that I think we've all implicitly agreed to, which is that once you do a certain amount, certain kind of crime, it's okay for any bad thing to happen to you. Right. It's okay for you to be a slave as we know, like slavery being explicitly protected by the constitution in the case of quote unquote criminals. So like, it's, a, I think it's hard in both ways. I would, yeah. I would say, I guess to be give grace to like myself and others and all of us, it's harder here <laughs> because of the invisibility. I mean, that's why I asked the question, because as I was reading the book, I was like, feels like it would be easier because you have something easy to hold up. Like these people are being killed right in front of us. But then I also think about in the world of the book, people who did not commit crimes that have them incarcerated for 25 years or more or were not convicted of crimes who had them incarcerated for 25 years or more. They're in prison, regular, regular, like we know it now. Right. Yeah. And they and you can make the choice to leave or not. Yeah. But you can make the choice to leave regular, regular prison if you are if you qualify for chain gang, 
or not. You could choose to stay and serve out your term. And so this, there still is the invisibility of those other people who are incarcerated, right? Like those people still exist in the world. Right. They can, they still exist. They're still being tortured as all people who are in prison are being tortured. And some of them are like in like someone like the character Hendrick Singer. He's in a, the Auburn, a, a reimagining of the Auburn system, which was a real system. And so he's in a prison where it has 24-hour silence enforced all the time when we first meet him. And so he's like, it's like it's kind of like our current prison, but like enhanced. Some people are in more like, as you said, like regular prisons and they opt out, but they're also getting tortured in new ways, which again, just because the way the world is, that's what happens. People get, they find new technologies and people get tortured in new ways all the time. And so, but I, but I also think that, again, part of my sort of, I guess the implicit argument with Changing is like, it is a consumer sport, but also it's almost hard not to hear about the extrajudicial murder of people at this point. Right. Right. I don't, I, I think this is a spoiler, so I don't want to talk about the influencer too much. As you mentioned the technology, there's this thing in the book called the influencer. And I don't want to say more about it because (laughs) reading the revelation of it was like a really not enjoyable, but like, was like, it's a very like important part of the book for me as a reader. I was like, Whoa. So I don't want to say too much about what it is and how it came to be. But kind of generally, how did that idea come to you yep. and like and rolling it out in the way that you did? Uh, that's another. I, again, I appreciate. First of all, I appreciate the spoiler consciousness because even I, I don't I don't know how much I mind. I think it's fine. Um, I know but, you don't mind probably, but I mind because if someone ruined that part for me as a reader, I yeah. would be like, what the fuck? No, I'm actually very <laughs> I'm very spoiler conscious. I'm one of the people yeah. who like do not like spoilers. So I appreciate it. But. I think I could talk about it. I could say that um, generally pain is a pain, physical, mental is a big part of this book. Yeah. And how you administer that is a, is a big part of the carceral system at large, but, um, and how, how you can, how do you, how do you control human control is a lot of what prisons are. Right. And so pain is a huge aspect of that. And we, there, there's all these versions of suffering that I think that people have that it's not a gun to the head. So it's like, it's great then whether it's a taser or or macing people or just breaking their bones and not stopping their hearts. And I think the influence is sort of a technological culmination of, 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 of that kind of thinking. We have the technology, we have these people we have to control. Let's do whatever. But also in terms of the rollout, which again, I appreciate you, seeing it that way because it is that um that's why revision is so key for me because Mm. i might get all the way halfway through the book before i realize oh wait this is actually an important item Hmm. or i might get i might get i might get 100 pages in before i even know a character like simon craft is going to be in the book for sure and then i'm like okay this item is so important now i need a background about this item Hmm. and that's also like to me like I, i really like seeing how my life gets folded into books even though I sort of resent the thing when people say when something bad happens to an author, they're like, well, don't worry. At least you can write about it. I kind of resent that. <laughs> Never heard that, but that's so fucked. All the time. My, your dad's dying. Like, well, at least you could write about it. Oh, no. <laughs> Which, But that said, sometimes they're right, I guess. <laughs> because so my dad really um, through um, just before pandemic, my dad died past um, right a, a couple of months after the first book. Like that summer 
And, but he was sick for a long time, which kind of like, was like kind of the impetus between like making Friday black happen at that moment. Okay. And he, he did chemo. And one of the, I mean, there's all these different horrors of chemo that people know about. And one of them and that happened to him was like really, really bad neuropathy. And if people don't know, sort of like nerve pain that can cause like inflammation, a bunch of different things. Sometimes mycelins could be whatever nerve stuff. Mm-hmm. And it can end up being that you're just in pain all the time, mm-hmm. which ended up being his situation. Mm-hmm. And I think I already was thinking about this, these different things that were trapped. And then I, I started, and then because I'm trying to, I'm also, I was his proxy. I was the one to help like, you know, the mm-hmm. main person um for whatever. I got really interested in trying to like heal this neuropathy. Basically I had him taken THCT and this is, he's not the kind of person to ever do that. Cause he's, this is right. a Ghanaian lawyer. You know what I mean? And all this type of stuff. But anyway, I got and like, I'm Googling and trying to learn X, my friends and getting like holistic stuff, going to a pain management doctor, ah, whatever. And so, um, in some ways I had already thought of it, but I started really thinking about it, uh, after that happened. And so, or not after that happened, cause this is years. It's, you don't have to think about it. It's in your soul already. Yeah. But by the time I got to the place where I needed this kind of item, I had like a background for it just like in my bones by this at that point. Mm. And so that's part of the origin of, of um, that stuff. Okay. <laughs> when you tries- read the book, people, this will make so much more sense. I have chills. It'll be right a now. lot clearer. Yeah, later you're going to have, you're going to have to read the book now and then come back and listen to the episode again, because this will all make more sense for you. I promise. Um, we're protecting your, reading enjoyment your your reading pleasure um okay in the book you have footnotes we talked about them briefly most of the footnotes are factual details about incarceration incarcerated people some of the footnotes are world building elements detail enhancing this is the second book i've read this month that had footnotes in a novel what is up. What's the vibe? Why you want them? Why include what them? What was the other one? Totally different book. It was My Government Means to Kill Me by Rashid Newson. Uh, and it's a but it was also kind of I think of your work I don't know. Do you think your work's satirical? I'm sure it kind of is, I guess. Okay, so his book is similar. It's like yeah. it was kind of satirical, but he also had them and used them in a similar way. But yeah. he was writing about everyday right like or he was writing about real public figures. So like Bayard Rustin's in his book, Fred Trump is in his book, yeah. uh, Larry Kramer's in his book. So he kind of was like putting footnotes in to let us know who these people were. Mm. Um so s- used in a different way, but it was just like two books back to back that were fiction that had footnotes. So I'm just really curious about about why you wanted to have them. I for the this would be in the UK edition, the Waterstones UK edition of the book. I wrote a, they had me write an essay about some aspect. And I think the footnotes are one of many, like very noticeable things about the book. Yeah. And to be honest, I am, was really, 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 really hesitant, but I, but, cause I don't like footnotes in my oh, novels. I love, I love footnotes. I don't like, I don't know. I've never had them in a novel before Rashid's book and now yours. Uh, They're in Oscar. Wow. And I saw oh. them in uh, the Three for Wonders Life of Oscar Wilde. And they were dope, though. They were great. But I think for me, I mean, A, I want to do something different. You know, yeah. me and uh, the writer just mentioned, we, we, we're not in cahoots or whatever. So, no. uh, but we're on the similar time, though. We're just filling fill the vibes, I guess. Yeah. I, th- I think that, because okay, so the reason I'm against them, as I said, or used to, or if 
am hesitant about them is that they inherently sort of disrupt the narrative dream thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm big on like keeping you locked in into this stream. That feels like a core tenet of my whole shit or whatever. And so just the act of, oh, moving my eye feels very mm -hmm. disruptive and kind of like aggressive to me. Mm. But first, there's so much stuff going on in this book that I wanted. But also, I, I even though maybe it would have been impossible anyways, I wanted to be like, categorically impossible to not understand this book as being about something. Yeah. I, I remember I was in PT. I was, I was doing, my back was all messed up during pandemic and still it's kind of funny. If you see me fidgeting, that's why. <laughs> um, and uh, I was talking about a uh, squid game to one of the like junior PTs who was like helping me whatever that day. And he's like, yeah. I was, and I was like, I was acting like how he thought about it. He was a younger kid. He's like 20 something. And he was basically like, it was cool. Like people getting killed or blah, blah, they want money. But I'm like, but like, you know, and basically if you can believe that, I don't know if you've seen Squid Game or not. I haven't. I was too scared. Squid Game is very, very, very overtly. And obviously to me, sort of a commentary on like uh, capitalistic consumer, mm -hmm. capitalist culture, basically. And for him, that was completely lost on him. Completely. Hmm. Because he was so, not enamored, but like, attracted to or engaged with the violence of it. Okay. And so for me, I wanted that to be impossible. Mm. This book, this book has pretty serious violence and I'm also myself pretty squeamish. Like I, I if you can believe that I, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I read the, 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 uh, chainsaw story. What was not, that's not Finkelstein five. Yeah, Finkelstein five, Finkelstein yeah. five. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the actual chainsaw is off, is off screen in that story. The chainsawing, rather. It's in my uh, mind. It was in my imagination. In the end, it in the end, it's pretty raw violence. And and I, I mean, I got people eating people in that book, the first book. Like, it's very rough. But shows I like, like Squid Game and Attack on Titan, I struggle because it's so brutal. But yeah, I want it to be impossible for someone to not see that this is about something. This mm -hmm. is like connected to something else. Also, I wanted to, I have this thing about like, in movies where like someone just gets killed and it's like, whatever right. I, I wanted opportunity to be like, every person matters mm -hmm. or they're a person rather, at right. least they're a person. And footnotes gave me a chance to do that. It also gave me a chance to be like, this is like maybe more like of a meta thing, but sometimes as like an artist, I feel somewhat constrained by like the linear nature of prose. The same reason why I think poets are like, so they're so willing to employ the white space and mm -hmm. movement of words. Whereas mm -hmm. I kind of don't have that ability mm -hmm. to, or especially like say like in music, if I was making a song, I could pan from there's, there's a not, there's a certain linearity that exists in prose that sometimes I, I think formally in terms of like that ambition, I want to push back against that in some way. And so the footnotes, that's the, the most exciting part for me. Cause there's one footnote that's my favorite where something's happening and then something happens down there and it's like ding, ding. And it's just like a effect that has occurred that I can't talk about because it would ruin it. But like, it's just, I got, it gave me a chance to do like shit I hadn't really seen other people do is like this easy version of saying it, but yeah. You mentioned the violence and being kind of squeamish. And a friend of mine asked me if this book was super violent and I kind of had to pause because it is, but it isn't, or if it is, it isn't, it, that didn't stick with me. The violence part didn't stick with me, it gets a little more violent towards the end, but in the beginning, I don't know. I think you handle it with a lot of, there's not a question. I don't know. I just think you handle it well. 
Um, it is a violent book, though. Like it's violent, like in theory, but it's like you said, like off screen, sort of. Though we do see it. I don't know. It doesn't. It wasn't like descriptions of the like the spear goes yeah. in and like I don't know. It didn't. I wasn't. It's mostly feeling. not that. There's a couple of big set pieces, if you want to call them that, that do have like then the knife was in his yeah neck type. There's shit. a few moments, <laughs> but. For me, the reason, and again, I appreciate that that's the sentiment or feeling that you had. I think it's because I, you can tell me being screamish makes yeah. me like <laughs> follow through. <laughs> I follow through with caring about it. Cause actually, right. you know what? Even I actually get, I actually do, I get caught up in the fun of the action of de- mm. of describing a, phys- a physical thing precisely. Even if it's just mm-hmm. running, mm-hmm. it's really hard mm-hmm. to do on text. Right. You know, right, right, right. so I like the challenge in the co- of, of describing choreography. She moved her arm back. She pulled, she pulled it forward. And then now the hammer's pulling it forward because the momentum, I like that type of stuff, but I care about even the, the first kid who gets murdered to the sec to, I care about them. And the footnotes help show that the character's response to it helps show it. The, the act of killing is not glorified meaning meaninglessly. So I think that I hope that that's what comes through that, even if there's violence, there's care. And yeah. f- for me, it's like, cause there is a version of like an aversion to violence that like can stupefy you into thinking everything is sweet and it's not. Right. right. And like, cause shit is not. And so that's kind of why for me, I have to employ the violence because I'm like talking about a very, very violent thing. Yeah. And I also understand how people's minds are and it, you have to sort of employ that energy, that visceral energy to, and almost sew it into the institution that's doing it. And a lot of the books, for me, it starts off with a big set piece that is pretty violent. Yeah. And I'm almost taking that energy and I try to like sew through the book, sewing it into this institutional system that is actually administering it because it's a spectacle. But then it's like, who was creating that spectacle? And sometimes we forget the thing. Sometimes we're worried about this particular officer's name. It's like, no, this is the, the whole thing. Yeah. And, and a, a lot of my job is like making that link indistinguished, like, like impossible to miss. Right. We're running out of time, but we cannot not talk about this part of the book. I've totally like saved it for the end, I guess. But one of the things that came to me, I don't know if you actually wrote this because it's in my notes or if I just extrapolated this, but there's this vulnerability of the characters who are on the chain, whether it's Loretta Thurwar or Hurricane Stacks or any, any of them, all of them, where there's this vulnerability about like trying to carve out a life on the brink of death. and to me, like as I was reading it, it was sort of a metaphor for like racism or sexism, right? That it's like you're trying to be alive or even just like being alive in America with all the guns. It's like you're trying to be alive on the brink yeah. of like the next terrible thing. But what you've given us is this great sort of love story also in the middle of the book. And it's between, um, I, I don't, is it a spoiler? I don't think so. No, I, don't I, think, I think they I, say it right in the beginning. I think it's really early. Just yeah, who about, was between? Yeah. No, it's not a spoiler. Okay, at all. I don't think it's a spoiler. Okay, I just wanted to make sure. Between Thurwar and Stax, and it's two women. And I'm wondering, sort of, about you writing that as a man. Did you have trepidation? And also, you also have a, a non binary character, which I think you, you know, kind of have in there. Every I love that everyone just uses the correct pronouns and it's not a thing. And like, that was just really enjoyable to <laughs> right. read. Like, there's no like, oh, oops, whatever. It's just like, they're non-binary. They're great. Um, I don't know how to pronounce that character's name. I have to be honest. Sia. Sia. Okay. Okay. Great. Thank you. <laughs> I had a few versions in my head going, but um, 
but I'm just curious about you writing about these sort of like queer love stories and these characters who maybe have different identities from you. And then also that tack on to the end of that is, well, never, I'll ask a question at the end. Go ahead. Yeah. So like I said, I started with third word. That's going to be a short story collection. And for some reason I had like this woman in the eye of the arena, right from the beginning. But I think I, why I, that was, is there's a certain way that a woman, but in particular a black woman, is going to be both like beloved, but also hated, mm-hmm. like glorified, but consumed. It's giving Serena Williams. Uh, that's who I was picturing as yes. before. I was going to say like, there's some things, that's exactly what I was going to say, but like there's something Serena Williams understands that even LeBron James can't understand. Mm-mm. Where like you're totally dominant, but also like disrespected. Mm-hmm. That by the same thing you're dominant of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's a certain kind of power we give a man who's very dominant where it's more like absolute and even, and even, I mean, of course the Brian deals with a whole bunch of bullshit too, but like right. this, there's a whole layer of it that I can perceive, even though I'll never exactly feel it, that I can see with someone like Serena or Simone Biles, like we just said. Yeah. She's going to deal with a whole bunch of shit that is just completely unfair. You're completely dominant. You're the best ever. And there's all this other narrative about like something. Right. And I think that's always like, I feel like black women in particular um, experienced that. And so that felt like important, I think. But yeah, I didn't even have to think about that because it it was from the beginning I had that. In terms of stacks and their partnership, I needed someone who like fully, I wanted the partnership to be truly equal. Mm-hmm. And I also knew that I wanted them to like try to install a change in their chain or their yeah. team or whatever. And I needed someone who understood their war situation completely. I see. At first I was going to have it be a man, actually, I think. But then it was like, it just felt such a fault. It felt so false. I was like, he doesn't understand her situation at all. Even if, even if he is an, a, a link on the chain. Mm-hmm. And I, because of where I felt like the book was going, I needed someone to fully understand their war. And it just, I, if it was a man, it would have felt false to me. Because like even they would have understood so much, but they would have been like inherent, like you don't really get my situation. It would have been, mm. it, w- it would have been true. Right. So I think I needed that like a hundred percent, like they need to get each other thing. And then in terms of like feeling comfortable with it, I don't know. I think it was sort of like, I, I what I've written women before, but in, in this case, it's sort of like, these are sort of, capable people in a really difficult situation. And I just try to like, usually I try to think of like, well, but they have their own sort of dispositions that I'm aware of and I create, I guess. And I just start thinking like, what would a capable, smart person in this situation do? Right. And that's, and that's usually what it is. And, um, and in terms of someone like Sai, I'm like, they're just in a tough situation. They're just a person in a tough situation. They happen to be um, non-binary, but it, it isn't their, like that's not who they there is. They're CIA, not right. like non-binary person, I guess, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so they go, they're a very particular person. And that's kind of how I thought about it. I guess that could be said for third war and stacks and every character, because there's a whole way. There's too, so oh many and they're so specific though. I mean, I think that's, I think that's what you're saying. It's like the specificity of it for you is what got you kind of mm-hmm. able to write them. Yeah, I just connected to them. And I connected to a lot of them. I mean, Third One Stacks in particular is right. probably my favorite characters I've ever written. And um, I, after a while, you kind of know them. And they sort of tell you who they are pretty good. Yeah. Um, I have to ask you about the title, 
not necessarily like why you picked it. I think it's a great one. I have to ask you about having two dashes in the title. Did you ever think about that? Were you ever like, maybe we shouldn't, maybe we should. I feel like titles are so weird and like publishers have so many opinions and it just really stood out to me. Like as I type it into my spreadsheets and stuff, (laughs) double double dash, double hyphen. I think it's my vengeance on the world. Okay. I know how to use hyphens. <laughs> my name is Ajay Brenya. Every time I go to a hotel, I have to guess if my, when I'm trying to get Wi-Fi, if they put the hyphen or not, because some people just don't do that. <laughs> and so now if you want to type the book, you have to put two hyphens because I put hyphens on everything on my, my whole life. And now it's my revenge story. I love it. I think I asked you this last time, but I'm going to ask you again. How do you like to write? How many hours a day? How often? Music or no? Snacks or no? Beverages, oh, yeah, I remember rituals. That. Yeah. I remember you asking about the snacks. When I'm really tapped in, two hours or... I mean, I, I'm I'm actually a chaotic, all over the place person. I think I, I've been saying this has appeared less so. But when I'm really tapped in, though, and I was for like probably like in pandemic... I had a, maybe like a good year of almost doing this at least four or five days a week. Okay. Um, two hours or a thousand words, whichever one comes first. Okay. But, but that comes after like, I hopefully I've meditated, gone to, the, gone to the gym, meditated. Then I go start working and then I eat after I work. So it's like this, like this, like goal that's like going to free me to okay. like, I'm a big, I like food a lot. And so I'm like trying to get to that place. I'm not a snack and music. I, I, I can't listen to music while I'm writing, but a lot of times I'll listen to music on this like very obsessive. I have a lot of obsessive tendencies and like, I like, okay. I can, I can pace around and listen to a song for like, no lie, like four hours, one song on loop is pretty bad sometimes. Wow. And um, yeah, it's like not the best thing, but I think it helps me. I don't know what it's doing, but it's like trying to get, I think acts like a flow state type of thing. And then snacks, I feel like I, I feel like my snack question last time was boring and whack and it's going to be boring and whack again. Damn. Shit. I feel like you had a green tea place that you used to go to. Like I did have a tea were... spot in Syracuse. Yeah. Yes. I didn't say Syracuse, but then I was like, that's, you don't remember that. But yes, Syracuse. I do. No, that was great. Now I'm back in the Bronx though. Okay. There's a spot called Semicolon that makes really good sandwiches. I've written there, but I, I can't say like I've done it consistently enough. Is a lot that a the... bookstore also? Yeah, but that's in, um not out here in New York. Oh. Yeah, oh, I okay, think. Yeah, it is. I think it's in Chicago. And then I was in pandemic. Like a lot of it, like the like the last latter half was like pandemic mode. So it was like what you got in your crib is what you got in your crib. Right. I see. And then I didn't ask you this question because I added it to the to the group of questions since the last time I talked to you. But what's the word you can never spell correctly on the first try? Um, silhouette. Ooh, what a good one. No one's ever said that before, but that's an impossible. Silhouette's word. fucked up. Yeah. Okay, you, <laughs> me- you mentioned this briefly at the beginning, and I wanted to, I, I did have this written down to talk to you about later, which is how has bringing this book into the world compared for you for Friday Black? I, I'm, I don't know. I don't know what kind of person you are, if you are, you know, feel that kind of pressure or not, if you feel the excitement of your audience waiting for this book? Like what, if you feel a difference between like marketing and PR for this book, like what has it been like? Because Friday Black was a hit, but it was your debut. So nobody knew you. I mean, some people knew you, but like the world didn't know you. Nobody knew me. I mean, you were a known quantity to your family and friends, but like you kind of burst on this. (laughs) I mean, this, I feel like Friday Black really like burst on the scene and now here you are coming back. So what's that been like? I feel like I'm trying to like find the concise way to answer because it's like a, it's a big question. Yeah. Because again, like I sort of hinted, if I think about like what's changed from 
mind you, I've been, this book has been my like best friend, like confidant <laughs> for seven years. Right. And in that seven year period, like pandemic happened. I finished MFA. I taught as a professor. I stopped teaching as a professor, at least like for right now, even though I'm going to go back hopefully very soon. My father passed away. I've like went from going on a plane twice in my adult life to I'm, I got, I think I'm about to be gold on Delta. Wow. You know I mean? Congratulations. I'm silver. I'm silver <laughs> right now, but I think, I think next time for sure, next year I'll get gold. And like, my life has changed dramatically mm-hmm. in terms of, so I feel the interest. Like, I think it's pretty clear that keep more people care mm-hmm. um, just by like a fact of some, a lot of people found, you know, connected with Friday black um, booksellers as they did before have really embraced this book and they really embraced my first book. And I think they're really why that bursting on your scene that you described happened. Um, but some things are the same. Uh, my material life is the same. You know, I, I don't feel, t- I mean, not, that's not true. Things are different now. Um, but I do have a sense that I want, I, I care that people like say my name when people are like books they like. I see it. Mm-hmm. And I try, I don't have too much pressure because like I said before, I know I get my best swing. So it is what it is. The ball's in the air. I feel that feeling of like, I swung, I'm looking at the ball. Maybe we'll go foul. Maybe we'll go out the park. But I know I tried, like I know I swung. I didn't just watch the pitch. You feel me? Right, right. And so I think in that sense, I feel a sense of acceptance of with whatever. Mm-hmm. But of course, you're afraid because I, when you try something for a long time, you know, you, you hope that people receive it well. You hope that they care for it. It's like you had this thing, like I said, that it was just yours and now it belongs to the world slowly yet surely. And so I hope it's, I hope people um, fuck with it. I think I've been... um but yeah, it's it's a little scary because I there is a big difference, but I actually can't tell because the first time it was so new. Like I think going from like zero followers to a thousand followers feels more intense than going from I don't know how many followers I have, but like let's say six to eight thousand or I don't know, whatever. Right. I think that the first time felt more intense. There, there was times with my first book where something good would happen and I would be like in a fetal position in my apartment in Syracuse. Mm. Cause I just like literally like anxiety, like Bound, you know, now I think I'm getting a little bit better at letting shit roll off my back and being like, that's a great thing that happened, but let's keep going. And so Mm -hmm. it's more, there's more I can perceive that it's more. I'm very grateful for that. I think my publicist and everybody at um, Pantheon, I hope is excited. I don't, I don't, I don't know though. I don't, I never ask, I've never asked to this day. I don't know how many Friday black books, Friday black has sold. Cause that stuff is all. Is all kind of tough for me. I think it's not good for my mental health. So anyways, that's all to say. It's a very long answer. But <laughs> what I'm trying to say is it's been dope. I'm super grateful. It's scary too, but that's how life goes. You didn't ask, but I think it's a home run. I don't think it's a foul ball. I think that people, Thank you. When, I, when I read the book, when I, as soon as I finished, I was like, people are going to fucking freak. I cannot wait to talk about this with people. I just think there's so much in it to talk about. Like, I think it's going to be one of those books where people are like, you have to get it too so we can discuss. Like there's just so much there. Um, for people who have read Chain Gang All-Stars, what are some other books you would recommend to them that are in conversation with it? We do this till we free us. Yes. Um, our prison's obsolete. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How the word is passed. I'm trying to think of a not non uh, actual fiction one. Mars Room. Oh, we did that on this book club in the first year also. Slaughterhouse Five in terms yeah. of like not being afraid to move into like the weird craziness, but also it's about something real. 
Um, that's what comes off the top of my head. That's good. That's good. What do you hope people will keep in mind as they read this book? That we are the ones who make the world and it can be anything. Mm. Okay. Last question. If you could have one person dead or alive, read this book, who would you want it to be? It's going to be obvious from, or maybe a sad one. I would, I would want my dad to, to read it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Everyone, this is Nana Kwame Ajay Brenya, friend of the pod, back again, five years later, almost. Chain Gang All-Stars. It's out in the world. You can get it wherever you got your books. Who reads the audio? There's four people. It's a okay. good one. A cast. Okay. Okay. It's pretty, I haven't, I haven't it's listened pretty to it. fire. It's, okay, a, it's I'm going to have to one. listen to it. Get it wherever you get your books. I promise you, listeners, people are going to be talking about this book. If you want to be part of the conversation about a buzzy book this year, this is the one. I have heard many people who I trust and love love this book. I loved this book. So I don't know. I don't know how else to endorse it, but <laughs> check it out. It's so good. I'm so excited about it. Nana, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Congratulations again. Five years. Look at us again. I'm so grateful. Look at us. It's like the hot wings <laughs> meme. <laughs> I feel like you said, did you say that in our last interview too? I feel like you did said I? that for some reason. Yeah, you did. <laughs> it's my only bit. <laughs> <laughs> I might be capping, but that just unlocked a memory for me. Okay, Anyways. well, it's possible. Well, Thank anyways, so this was so great. Thank you. And everyone else, we will see you in the stacks. All right, y'all, that does it for us today. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you again to Nana for being our guest. I'd also like to say a quick thank you to Josie Cowles for helping to make this conversation possible. Don't forget our May book club pick is This Boy We Made, a memoir of motherhood, genetics, and facing the unknown by Taylor Harris. Nicole Chung will be our guest for that discussion on May 31st. If you love this show and you want inside access to it, head to patreon.com slash the stacks to join the stacks pack. And make sure you're subscribed to The Stacks wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you're listening through Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave us a rating and a review. For more from The Stacks, follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram and TikTok and at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. And check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. This episode of The Stacks was edited by Christian Duenas with production assistance from Lauren Tyree. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite and our theme music is from Tagirajis. The Stacks is created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. 